Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. And I'm Carl. So I got a couple of things to plow through here. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about was The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. So I really wanted to go to a movie and I had to take my daughter. And so I was like looking at all the choices of what I wanted to see and what I thought she could sit through. And it came down to just The Conjuring. And so we go up and right before we go up to pay for the ticket, she's like, yeah, they were watching it last night. And I was like, what? You mean like the second one or the first one? She's like, no, it's on HBO Max. And I was like, oh. But I really wanted to go see a movie, so I went to it anyway. Uh, Had a great time. We were literally the only people in the theater, which I got to admit, not a fan of like being in an empty theater. Never have been, but still don't like it. I don't know. Having the crowd. You can't smoke anymore? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to smoke in there with my daughter. So Uh, Brandon and I did that when we went to go see uh, Idle Hands. (laughs) That's a whole story that's not worth going through right now. I just, I miss the crowds, man. I really do. But anyway, so we went to go see this. It opened up with a shot that's right out of the exorcist where you see a priest get out of the car he's like kind of backlit so you see a silhouette and you see the dark house off in the distance it's just very exorcist feeling and then they're performing an exorcist and it's exactly like the exorcist leading up to this kid who's like shaking the kid who's possessed and he's like take me instead take me instead and so obviously he gets possessed and so I'm watching this and and the kid winds up going to prison because he kills somebody. And so I'm like, oh, they're setting up the Exorcist 3. They did not. And I can't really go into it further without spoiling stuff, but I do think it's a really fun movie. It's not as well directed. James Wan did the first two, and he's a really good director. And whoever this guy is, is competent, and it's a fun movie. But I would say it doesn't reach the heights of the first two. I think the first one is legit classic. It's probably around where like Annabelle and whichever one it was, where they where they have the whole cabinet that the teenagers get into and all the haunted stuff is going. It's like on that level, but not as bad as Lola Rona or like uh, the other two Annabelle movies. But it's fun. It's like in the middle of the Conjuring movies. You know, it's like it's like a second tier Conjuring movie, of which I'd say there's three tiers. <laughs> and if you like those movies, I think you're going to have a good time with it. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I've only seen the first one, I think. Yeah, and it's it's fun. Like, I just, I enjoy those characters. I enjoy watching Vera Farmiga being weird. Like, I just, she's really found her lane in, <laughs> in her later career, and I fully support it. She just comes in and like throws a million miles an hour being a weirdo and I'm all for it. And Patrick Bates, he's fighting a heart attack in this one, which is a lot of fun. I don't know why, because like he'll be in a wheelchair, but then they'll like have him walking around in a house. Like they just stop the wheelchair and then he walks around in the house and it's like, well, you're really supposed to just hang out in the wheelchair, especially when you're dealing with stressful demons. You know what I mean? (laughs) I, I enjoyed it. It's fun. Does he sing She's Your Queen? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he does not. Missed opportunity. But I would say if you're into the Conjuring universe, it's fun. 
uh, if the rest of the movies are on par with this, then I would be just fine with that. So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the second episode of Loki and just give like broad strokes on that episode. I like what the show is shaping up to be. I think it's going to be mostly philosophical conversations. I do suspect that the next two episodes will be a little more action packed than the first two because I've noticed that all the Marvel shows so far, if you divide them into three, it's a three act structure. Yeah. Like WandaVision, you had episodes one, two, and three where you don't really know what's going on, but you get these tiny clues. Four, five, and six, they let you really know what's going on outside of her sphere of influence. And then seven, eight, and nine, it's just like you have, it's building to the the climax. Yeah. And like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they set it up in the first two. They give you the real conflict and the players and and three and four, and then they resolve everything in five and six. So I'd imagine this is going to feed along the line specifically with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But I like it. I enjoy it. It was fun to see we were right about Lady Loki and that we called it out before the episode was out. So that was fun. Loki being all Loki. (laughs) I mean, we get a little bit of each kind of Loki. Mm -hmm. The real arrogant Loki. We get some stuff where he's like knocked down in the dirt. Yep, fall on your face, Loki. That's always my favorite. Specifically pounded into the ground by Hulk Loki. (laughs) Yeah, where he's like, I am physically beat here. (laughs) And I thought it was interesting, like, because he's definitely had that choice whether he jumps through the the portal or not and it's like no Loki's going through that portal yeah I didn't doubt it for a second I only thought he hesitated because he wanted them to see him step through the portal it's just a little flare of drama there I don't think he was actually going through any kind of internal conflict on that anything jump out to you about that episode Carl um how good he was at the end there he was a good guy he's against Lady Loki sort of I mean he's not really against her but he is he's got his own ulterior motives like if she can if he can play her to get his own motives and then like i think she he saw like oh she's doing something at a whole nother level like beyond this i'm seeing where this is going kind right of he thing. has to follow it and but i think that he i mean if he doesn't go through the time gate and stays behind then they just lose her yeah entirely and i think that part of his game it's got to be more fun for him if he can like bring mobius with him when he brings everything down and has like a little buddy because he's definitely like (laughs) yeah well and that's definitely uh we're gonna see owen wilson on a jet ski before this is over with the weekly planet guys also called out the idea of a chekhov's jet ski (laughs) 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 like we were talking off mic earlier yeah um, and so that's definitely on a lot of people's minds. They're going <laughs> to, if they don't see Owen Wilson on a jet ski, they're going to be mad. <laughs> and I'll be at least disappointed, but it's happening. It's you don't have that much conversation about a jet ski without having a jet ski. You know, along those same lines, the fact that he describes in detail the difference between illusion and duplication is like that's coming back also, into play. The, he explained that to the audience for a reason. Yeah, you know, and also. The fact that he had to explain it to them means that he can use his magic in a way that will trick 
the time variance authority, maybe not the timekeepers themselves if he was face to face with them, but at least these low level bureaucratic flunkies that are sometimes have a weirdly narrow. They can't uh, see the forest for the trees. They can't, they really underestimate what they're up against. Some of them don't know what a fish is, you know, <laughs> at least, at least Pillboy doesn't. <laughs> so, um, that's a factor in dealing with them. And it's, Abundantly clear at this point to me that Time Variance Authority are not good guys. They're definitely fascists of a nature in that they believe they're right about this one rigid way things need to be and they're willing to do whatever it takes. Include, I mean, every time they set off one of those reset charges, they erase a bunch of people. Yeah. I really like what Lady Loki did at the end. <laughs> Where she set off her plan. And they really pushed it into a, a thing where as the episode was going, I was like, okay, so if they catch Lady Loki by the end of the episode, what are they going to do next? And if they, like, they'll just kill Loki, right? Because they don't need him anymore. He's a variation, a variant. And they don't want I, him to exist. I don't ultimately. think Owen Wilson will, but I think that's going to be the idea of the TVA is you need to reset him now. Right? Yeah. yeah. And if he didn't catch them, they told him at the beginning, this is your last chance. You'll get erased if you don't catch him. You're heading towards two outcomes that are wrong because it's like the story just ends, right? So you're like, well, it can't be either of those things. Like, neither of those things can be the way this episode's going to go. So how is it going to be different? And then him getting, like, stepping through the portal was exactly that third option. We know at some point he's got to vote for Loki button. Like, the thing that interests me is somebody's going to go and there's a scene at the end where you see all the branching in the timeline start to split off and there's a list of dates. What happened was he she opened a bunch of doors into different time periods and dropped a thing that wherever that bomb landed, it just erased somebody or some people from history. So now that timeline's going to almost have to branch off because how do you unerase people? Right. And so it's going to be like in some places, it's going to be things like Captain America got erased before this could happen or Ant-Man got erased before this could happen or Wakanda got erased before this could happen. The you rat. Know? And uh, <laughs> it's going to be just fucking. But what's interesting, too, is the way that time travel works in, in the MCU. The main timeline always still exists, too, because you just create a new timeline when you branch off so everything the time variance authority is doing is kind of pointless anyways because they still have that timeline existing even though other ones exist too you it's know like, Abed you're now creating six different timelines they're just paranoid and uh, it's pretty sweet <laughs> Loki's great and Lady Loki is great too and I hope that they punch for a while and then become buddies and then backstab each other and layers of betrayal within layers of betrayal and I think that not only here's my prediction about the jet ski is that not only is that going to happen, but I think that he's going to actually hate the experience and it's going to be part of the thing that ultimately undermines his faith in the time variance authority and the timekeepers. And like, it's what Loki's going to use to sway him to his side. That's my prediction. I have a theory, but I haven't like, it's kind of, 
of in two parts, and I'm not sure which part it is, but I'm confident that one of these two things will happen. Kang, we know, is going to be in Ant-Man and the, and the Wasp, like whatever the third one is. Quantum Mania. Like or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my theory is either he is actually in control. This Time Lords thing is a bunch of bullshit. Maybe he's one MCU. of the three and he's it's possible, but trying I th- to assert power. They're like a triumvirate. I think the first possibility in my head is that like he is arranging all of these timelines because it guarantees that at some point he'll seize control. That's my first theory. My second theory is that's not the case, but Kang steps in to into fill a, ba- the vacuum. a power vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's also possible that Loki undoes everything that they're doing and then like Kang steps in to fill the vacuum. So that's my two theories. I could be wrong, but I think the number one mistake Marvel fans make is to try and connect it to upcoming properties because they they rarely really do that. And when they do it, they do it in ways that you tend to not expect. So it could be completely off, but I just have a feeling that Kang will definitely benefit from what's happening in this show, even if we don't see it at the end of this show. That's my theory. Do you guys have any any other theories you want to float out? Well, I do know that Kevin Feige mentioned that this is directly affecting Doctor Strange. And it feels like WandaVision did some legwork in updating Scarlet Witch to fit into the world of this next Doctor Strange movie. And now Loki is doing some world building to sort of set the stage for like the multiverse of madness to even be a thing to make a movie about. With Loki being a thing, you can spend less time in Doctor Strange establishing the multiverse and you can just get into it because people really play with that world because people spent six weeks getting basically a cramming cram session a lesson in what is going to happen it feels like a more efficient way for marvel to set up new parts of the universe right like before they would lightly introduce it in a couple of movies so that when they really hit you over the head with it like infinity war and endgame for example like they're really laying the groundwork with the guardians movies and they slowly lay out the groundwork with the infinity stones over all those movies but this is a way where you can just get that idea across in an entire series and then when you go to do it everybody knows at that point who cares enough you know it just feels more efficient to me kevin feige's got to be really glad he's got these shows like and matt okay so you know how there's um infinity war came out and then ant-man and the wasp came out Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. endgame came out Right. No, then no, Captain Marvel. No, then Captain it was, Marvel. It was Captain Marvel, then Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then Endgame. And more than Captain Marvel, Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, laid a lot of groundwork for what made... Endgame work. Yeah. Like, him getting lost in the quantum realm protected him from the snap, I suppose. Yeah. And, and well, also... Because time moved differently in the quantum realm. And so. also um, allowed him to uh, then bring up... Hey, time travel, that's a thing. Let's do that. If they had started doing what they're doing now sooner, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp would have been a limited series. It would have been six episodes on Disney Plus instead of a movie. I actually actually agree with that because they did try and cram a lot into that movie. We would have gotten like way more Walton Goggins and way more Ghost and Titan and – Michael Pena. Yeah. (laughs) I actually – we Think, would have gotten at least two episodes I where mean, Michael Payne tells problem, the story. 
The the only problem with making a TV series is I don't know if you can get Paul Rudd cheaply enough. <laughs> Paul but he's Rudd, done TV. You might he did be a Netflix to. show. Didn't yeah, I was gonna he? say. Yeah. yeah, he did. Well, he's done a couple because yeah. he, he did. He's just like a I big cannot tell you the name of them, but there's two different series he did for Netflix, and then he also yeah. did Wet Hot American Summer shows because he was in all of those. So he's done at least three. Oh, different I can't Netflix imagine series. the Wet Hot American Summer is a huge commitment, time or effort wise. Like it's pretty low budget, and they did the same thing. They a did. lot of the stuff they do is improvised anyways, so they don't have to like do a whole lot of rehearsal and my understanding was they did the same thing that they did with the movie which was they all hung out for like a month before they started filming and like rehearse and stuff but they like stayed at the cabins and shit and like they yeah that's just them hanging out with their buddies on vacation but they they did that again even though everybody was a big star because it was so much fun yeah they all wanted that experience they all are huge friends with each other yeah let's do that there was one it was a really good uh, Netflix series, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, where he plays, like, two different versions of himself. Like, he goes to this clinic, and, like, it's kind of like a total recall thing. Like, they make, like, a clone of him, but the clone lit, and they they basically make a clone of him, and, like, he gets all rejuvenated, and it gets a new outlook on life. Normally, when anybody goes into this clinic, they kill the original version, because it's toxic and full of, like, bad energy and whatever. And then, but somehow, like, he doesn't get killed so like now there's two versions of Paul Rudd in, in the world it was pretty interesting shows and it didn't look like a huge budget thing like so I think you could get Paul Rudd I think that all of these Marvel people will eventually be available for Disney Plus shows and I don't mean that in a shitty way what I mean is we're gonna have to see how Marvel movies do in the theater because they are releasing them on Disney Plus at the same time and it's very possible that this is just where culture is moving to like the most important streaming shows are going to get more press and be more A-list than movies are, that might be where we're heading. Like, honestly. Like, I think the pandemic kind of speedened that process, but I think we were heading there anyway. Well, I'm going to pay to watch Black Widow on Disney Plus and not go see it in the theater. I know. But I I will absolutely be with everybody and their sneezing droplets. I am looking forward (laughs) to it being a movie and not a series. I think it it would work. It's work going to work better just with the timeline the way it is and with Black Widow being dead. By the way, somebody said something about Black, Black Widow that like hit me in a way where I was like, I never thought of that. We know this is in the past with Black Widow. Is it possible that this is during the blip? Yeah, that's when it takes place. It's in, in between. and It's either in between Infinity War and um, Endgame or it, it might take place in between Winter Soldier and, or Civil War and Infinity War. Yeah. That's another gap. Yeah, that was Infinity kind of, War doesn't immediately happen after That Civil was initially War. what I thought it was. But now I'm wondering. But I don't know. I, I was just curious if you guys had heard I mean, anything. What does it say? I just looked up that Paul Rudd show is called Living With Yourself. Yes. So when is it? Uh, it is between Civil War and Infinity War. Okay. So it is before the blip. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I just, somebody like said that and I was like, that had never occurred to me. That's a possibility, but there's definitely, there has to be a lot of stories to tell in between there. I wonder if we're going to get some movies that fill out that gap eventually. I have a feeling that there will be flashbacks to that period for the Hawkeye show. Yeah. I have to and imagine. And that might actually be, that might be between those. I don't know. <laughs> that's going to be so interesting. 
Richard's like talking to his wife, just being like, she's like, so what did you do while we all disappeared? Ah, uh, you know, I just became like a mass serial killer, basically. <laughs> of the Yakuza, yeah. Well, he's training his daughter to be the new Hawkeye, isn't he, in this show? I think, I think that's so. the premise of it. Yeah. He's so, definitely passing the torch to yeah. Kate Bishop. Oh, right. Kate Bishop, not his daughter. Somebody else. Don't normally jump on Amazon Prime just unless there's something I know on there like Invincible. I'm like, eh, I'll see what's on here. And I had f- completely forgot like about a month ago, Borat. I don't remember what the, the subtitle for it, but it's a docuseries. Yeah, I saw that too. And then I immediately forgot about it until you just brought it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's a six-part series, but they're all like 10-minute episodes. So you can get through it in about an hour or hour and a half. But what they did is the scene in the second Borat movie where he gets quarantined with the two rednecks Mm -hmm. and like he's fucking with them and then like they go to that rally in uh, Seattle. Yeah. So the first episode is they filled out that scene and with extra footage and from the movie. And then the other parts are them debunking all of the shit that's wrong that they say in that movie. Like they had one episode where they were debunking the myth of the Clintons uh, drinking the blood of Christian children, like the whole Pizzagate scandal. Wait, so who's debunking it? It's actually just a voice narration. They have the the clip of the line from the, the show or the movie. And then, like, they talk with a bunch of different experts. So it's not so much comedy as No, just it is definitely to... not a comedy, but just here's what really happens. Just for, like, that uh, Clinton sketch, they actually went in a quick deep dive of it's called uh, – blood libel and it's been going on since the 1600s where they accuse Jewish people of killing Christian children and drinking their blood and it shows up every so often like Hitler notoriously used it and it's come back around again like the whole Pizzagate thing at its heart it's anti-Semitic and there was actually a book written in the 30s by an American author and he actually put this out as a uh, book that was released by the the Jewish higher order or something like that, like the nat- the nation of Zion or something. And actually Hitler quoted that a few times in a lot of his speeches and used it. So, and then the other part of each clip they do is they actually get on a Zoom call with the two guys that Borat was staying with and were like, kind of basically call them to the tat carpet for that. Like the one episode they act, they didn't have a video call, but it was just a phone call from uh, Hillary Clinton. Like, Stop doing this. Like, you know better than this. Like, you're better than this. You, like, do better. And it was really interesting, but the the thing I kind of didn't like about it is it's preaching to people that the intended audience is not the people that could really benefit from this information. Right. Yeah. Maybe he's just hoping somebody sees it. I, like, I know he was hoping I th- a lot I of think, things with it. But. I think throughout the series, because like the six or seven episodes, like where they bring those two guys in, you can see like them like, yeah, that like you could just see like when they're faced with all the facts and just like showing like having these people from Harvard and like people that are really in the know, like these vaccines don't have microchips in them right and they're like yeah so at the end of the day is it entertaining if you're looking for comedy it's not there it's more like a john oliver deep dive than 
anything. The Twitter went insane for a couple of days now because uh, one of the writers of uh, the TV show, Harley Quinn, the animated cartoon, was describing a story in which they pitched a joke for season three where Batman goes down on Catwoman. And DC said, you can't do that. We're cutting this joke from the script. And he's like, they're like, Batman doesn't do that. And they're like, why? And they're like, heroes don't do that. He's like, what? Are you saying heroes, Batman's a selfish lover? And they're like, no, we're saying that. You know, they made up something about selling toys, some about merchandise. We can't merchandise this. <laughs> well, that's clearly not true. <laughs> and so uh, everybody is rightfully making fun of that decision by DC to be a bunch of prudes. And uh, it's pretty funny. Like, Yeah, but they let the Killing Joke movie happen. Yeah, like... <laughs> And they let Batman hang dong and Batman damned, I think it's called. And uh, and they had a pretty pornographic couple of panels in the first Catwoman issue when they launched the new 52. Like, I had that one and my daughter was really into Catwoman at the time. And I had to, like, pull that issue and give it to somebody else because I didn't want my daughter going over it when she was, like, five. <laughs> so they've certainly had a history. But when it comes to him going down on her, I guess that's not okay. That's where they draw the line. <laughs> oh, that's too far? It sounds to me like somebody just got spooked at standards and practices and knee-jerk reactions like they do sometimes. Uh, there's They one, do have a new regime in now, too. One lady I saw. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, yeah, every company has their own people, their own department that does but, this, but there's also but like... they've gone through like three or four CEOs in like five years, so... I'd imagine Warner Brothers is just fucking chaotic as shit. Like the standards and practices are probably changing every like year, year and a half, you know? Yeah. This yeah, especially when you're trying to write a show like uh, Harley Quinn where, you know, they they push boundaries that a lot of animated shows wouldn't go to. Show only works if they push the boundaries, right. honestly. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> the fact that this joke – didn't make the cut. It's fine. It's just another story about a joke not making the cut. It's not anything to get upset or angry about. I'm it's outraged. only <laughs> something to make fun of. It's like just the perfect fodder for jokes and memes. It's just perfect. <laughs> Nothing is better. I saw somebody had reappropriated a clip from like Under the Red Hood where some uh, Nightwing has been like, why don't you just kill the Joker and all the other villains? And he's like, once you go down there, you never come back. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that's pretty great. And can, can I read the one I sent you guys? Sure. Uh, so Brandon's brother, Brett, actually, this is where I saw it. He passed yeah. it along on Facebook. I'm sure he didn't write it, but it's a DC official statement. It looks like it's DC letterhead. It's got the DC logo on it. Yeah. And it says, in light of recent conversations surrounding the much beloved DC character, Batman, we at DC <laughs> Comics feel compelled to correct this gross mischaracterization of the world's greatest detective. So to clarify, it is our official stance that Batman would indeed perform oral intercourse on Catwoman and not just because he expects in return he genuinely enjoys it honestly it's like giving her an orgasm is the same as getting one i mean if she wanted to return the favor he wouldn't say no but there's no pressure honestly he's just happy to be down here to confirm batman would indeed lick it now lick it good lick that pussy just like he should dc <laughs> comics <laughs> 
As a nerd, I'm highly offended that this is a thing and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that's the thing is I'm glad this happened because there's so many good jokes. The current hot meme structure is this one with Anakin and Padme. Oh, yeah. Where Anakin says something and then Padme says something. And you won blah, blah, blah. You and then Anakin blah, blah, blah. Doesn't, doesn't say respond. anything. Right. And then she repeats herself quieter, like more cautious, like worried. And it's like Batman and Catwoman. And Batman says, I know where all the clusters are on a nerve clusters are on a man's body. And then Catwoman's like, and a woman's body too, right? And then Batman just stares at her and she's like, and a woman's body too, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I kind of like the ones where Batman, like where people aren't being Batman apologists and being like, oh no, he totally does. He's a good guy. It's like, oh yeah, like my favorite tweet so far is like, of course the billionaire Bruce Wayne wouldn't uh, be a part of the only ethical consumption under capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh man that's the fucking winner in my book (laughs) oral sex is the best guys it really is and and i was shocked at how many people were like being what i would unfortunately describe as performatively woke right like because all if you're wondering if you're performatively woke have you ever described yourself as woke you're performatively woke (laughs) yeah or have you ever like been like this is a thing that is misogynist and wrong and bad for women and then looked around and realized that the only other people saying the thing that you're saying are other nice guys and it's like white you're just trying to put nice coins into these girls until sex pops out like you're not really doing any ally work or whatever being you're not really being an ally you're just like putting on this facade of allyship so fuck you it's no different than putting on a nice shirt and going to the bar yeah (laughs) like honestly it's it's the same thing taking a shower before going to the bar yeah (laughs) That's not how you normally roll around. (laughs) Adam West with the guy who played the Riddler. Frank Gorshin. Frank Gorshin. They went to like a orgy at like Frank Sinatra's house and they got this idea of like, hey, let's be in character the whole time. (laughs) And uh, they got kicked out. They got kicked out of the orgy. (laughs) Because you they know, wouldn't break character. I would have to say Batman definitely goes on cat, down like, Catwoman. Red Dog li- logo told me definitely it happened. <laughs> okay, so I think that Adam West, Batman, probably doesn't. But I don't think he has sex, period. You mean He's, like in the show? I mean Adam West, Batman, that Batman. Okay, not Adam West himself. Yeah, no, no Adam West Infamous, fucks. dude. Yeah. Adam West fucks. Infamous for fucking. Batman, in Adam the West, Batman sometimes. doesn't. Fuck. I also don't think Michael Keaton Batman fucks, um, but that's just because he can't move his neck. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get that right angle. He just, well, it, you're just, it's a, the lack of mobility is going to hamper your, your ability to do that. There was too I many, think, there was too many cat women around for him to have uh, not fucked what one about, of them in the whole show. <laughs> Okay, so maybe, okay, he doesn't, the first Batman 
Michael Keaton Batman doesn't fuck, right? He's got kind of weird. I think bird, you're right on but that. But yeah. maybe Batman but returns. Michelle Pfeiffer Fife, Catwoman, Well, that's what I'm dude. saying. Yeah. She might have been Batman's sexual awakening. <laughs> Not Vicky Vale. It was, no. <laughs> it's definitely Catwoman. And Alfred and was really, Alfred Val was like Kilmer the older Batman. brother who's like, who's just like, come on, man. I'll, I'll let her into the Batcave so you can just deal with that even though she's a reporter. Because I really want you to get your dick wet. Master Bruce. <laughs> I think Val Kilmer Batman doesn't fuck because he's busy with Robin. <sighs> that chemistry he had with Nicole Kidman, though, <laughs> I think he fucks a psychiatrist. I think you're right. There's the awakening with Catwoman, and then I think I think it happens. I think he has a setback because he's busy doing being turning into Bat Daddy. That's he's that's the George Clooney on one. Daddy. That's. Oh, yeah, that's right. Robin comes in in the third right. one, doesn't he? Batman and Robin is Clooney, and Clooney Batman... Clooney has to Batman fucks. Yeah, it- <laughs> he put nipples onto the suit. He added nipples to the suit. Clooney Batman Because he was just going over the top. He was like, I'm, I'm ready for Batman this. Batman does not fuck. Nolan, no, Batman, Nolan Batman does not, not fuck. There's no Dude, way there, Nolan he Batman is, fucks. Like, there is zero interest Nolan Batman with Batman fuck. Like, Nolan Batman fuck, Like, right. he has, like, a 13-year-old schoolgirl crush on Rachel, right? Yeah. In the first two movies. And then I think he's just in, like, he's just devastated in the third one. Like, maybe he does when he runs off to Europe with Catwoman, because I can't imagine she would, like, hang around if he didn't. Because does but that again, have Dakota that, in Europe where, like, Michael see, Caine sees him? That's a, again... Catwoman sexual awakening yeah. again. Yeah, it's it's the same story repeated. And Talia, she probably oh, she yeah, he totally yeah. Never mind. Okay, he, he doesn't fuck Talia. In the third movie, Talia he does. fucks him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to. He cries at the end probably, but it happens. Or bad the whole time. Uh Pete Holmes Batman <laughs> Batman <laughs> talks about fucking her a lot but in the most like immature in like, silly way it's pretty great you should watch that video Batman I, talks about sex I've seen them all um, they, they were actually on Hulu for a while before Hulu became like a real streaming service like that's not shade against Batman but they used to have a lot of internet shorts on Hulu for a long time and just very old TV shows and then at some point when the networks got faith in Hulu, it became a real streaming service, you know. Yeah. But there was a few years there where it's like I we watched the entire run of Chad Vader, for example. That shouldn't happen on a streaming service. It just shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> What's your deep dive? This is how I d- came discovered a useless mutant power. Because you know, I like to th- come up with really useless superpowers, like the ability to summon expired coupons. <laughs> Or coupons from businesses that have gone out of business. like Or old. not in your area. Yeah. Just very – well, not in your area. You could potentially still use those somehow. But, like, if they're expired, then they're just useless. Unless your name is Karen. <laughs> you really want to get angry about it. But uh, that's not the one that I came up with today. I was thinking about Australian actor Noah Taylor – the other day and okay. I was looking and I came to discover Noah Taylor in the TV show Preacher where he plays Adolf Hitler and uh, 
Is this the dad from Paddington? Yes. <laughs> so okay. now that because I saw Noah Taylor as Hitler first, every time I see him in a movie, I'm like, what the hell is Hitler doing in this movie? <laughs> and when I was going through his like filmography, I realized that Hitler has been in a lot of movies going backwards. <laughs> Then he's just been around like he was in the movie Skyscraper, the rock movie oh, so good. as one of the board members. He likes to be a board member a lot, like a kind of like a bureaucrat that yeah, he is pulling the strings in, in the too. background. But occasionally he gets mad and he's just like, we need to work on our stocks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was on uh, he was lock on uh, Game of Thrones. I don't know who that is. Probably some bureaucrat. <laughs> Somebody works with the Iron Bank, probably. Uh, he was in the TV show, the uh, the Amazon Prime show, Hannah, Doctor. He was a doctor. He's doctors a lot, like evil scientist-y doctors, research kind of guys. Paddington 2, he was Fibs. He was in Peaky Blinders. He was in Edge of Tomorrow as Dr. Carter. He was in Mr. Robertson and Predestination that we watched for box office battles. Was that the doctor who... He's the one manipulating Ethan oh, Hawke. Oh, I see. Okay. Throughout the, the portion of the that... The one that does like the basically the gender change. The one that tells Ethan Hawke what to do while he's Ethan Hawke. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, he's the one that I like was at the Time Bureau, he's kind basically. Of, yeah, yeah. He's like the only yeah. other Time Bureau guy that you encounter that's not him. And he was a doctor? In some form. No, Mr. Robertson. Oh, I thought he was, he was a doctor, Dr. Robert. Yeah, Dr. Robertson. Carter in Edge of Tomorrow, okay. which is the time loop movie. Um, he <laughs> came of to Thrones, It's a time loop movie. The time loop movie is Groundhog Day. <laughs> so he's Australian, so he was in the Australian version of the show Rake, which is like about a scummy lawyer and that got rebooted in america with greg kinnear i think i watched the american version is fine i'm sure the australian version was better then you go back far enough and he even um he was mr bucket in charlie and the chocolate factory uh when you was, say go back farther this I, is what i'm about to get about to burton's right we're in the 2000s yeah, well, yeah okay we're in the 2000s so he was also vladimir wolodarsky in life aquatic with steve zissou so hitler's in a paul anderson movie and <laughs> uh freaking... it's not paul it's wes anderson, wes anderson. <laughs> thank you west w uh west paul the paul p west west w s anderson <laughs> But he also was in both of the Tomb Raider movies because he has Do done you mean his the Jolie ones. Yes. Okay. So he was he like the, is the nerd. He's the nerd sidekick. Like he did his due diligence. Like Seth Green was the nerd sidekick in things like uh uh what you call it. He was a bad guy and uh, it's got Will Smith and technically it's a sequel, but... Oh, uh, Enemy of the State. Enemy of the State. He's like one of the surveillance yeah. dudes and uh, he also is like Patton Oswalt did it in Blade Trinity. He was like the, the hacker sidekick nerd dude and it's just a role that exists constantly in movies and he did his 
turn being that guy in the Tomb Raider movies. But then... I mean, Kevin Smith did it in Live Free and Die He was also, in 2002, he also was Adolf Hitler in the movie Max. So he's been Hitler twice in a TV show and in a movie. He doubled down. Um, He was Edmund Ventura in Vanilla Sky. So he's been in a Tom Cruise movie. Uh, He was Dick Roswell in Almost Famous. He... And then you go and you get to his very first movie, right? You go all the way back. And his first movie was in 1986. He plays a Bowie fan in the movie Dogs in Space. Okay. Not seen it. So Dogs in Space. Dogs in Space. Two men are the key members of a band called Dogs in Space and share a house in a Melbourne suburb. Oh, I'm sorry. In a Melbourne. Melbourne. Melbourne suburb, uh, with a variety of young music fans and social misfits, including a college student and a transient and apparently nameless teenage girl. The lead star of this movie is Michael Hutchins. From NXS? <laughs> yes. So when I got to Dogs in Space, I was like, who the fuck is Michael Hutchins? That name rings a bell. <laughs> and then I like Carl no. <laughs> And oh boy! Then, there is a that's a whole nother deep dive. Well, no, that's <laughs> where this deep dive turns into a who the fuck is Michael Hutchins? Well, In Excess is an Australian rock band that like wound up going six times platinum in nineteen eighty something with the Kick. album Kick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Michael Hutchins got started in in excess when he was like 19 and he was a rock star for like 20 years and he hooked up with Kylie Minogue and a bunch of other like Polly Yates. Kylie Minogue was so so and then so fine. Dude uh, she's still fine. He like hooked up with Polly Yates while she was married to Bob Geldof and then they got divorced and then she had his kid and then he she could tell it wasn't Bob Geldof's because it didn't have like an oval shaped head and a dead eyed stare (laughs) yeah (laughs) a thousand mile stare dude his daughter's name is like awesome <laughs> His daughter's name is like Harmony Universe Trinity, like just like this a bunch of crazy names. The daughter's uh, godfather was Frank Zappa. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and then he wound up dying. He was only like 30. Now, did it talk about the death? He was... So I told Carl immediately, but then we both went to look it up, which I think is when Carl was doing the research, and it turns out it's not true. So really? he died by. Yeah. Hanging, but it was suicide. His bandmate spread the rumor that it was autoerotic asphyxiation and that he accidentally died, but he killed himself. Yeah, I will say. They ruled in, out. I will say in Wikipedia, accidental. they sourced it to one of the bandmates who went in the room and saw him, said it was autoerotic asphyxiation, but the coroner completely ruled it out. Like, so it ran with the press for months. Okay. Dude, and then like, when they that got, was like, mm-hmm, I, know. I remember when we were teenagers like that was and this was years before the internet was no, really no, a no, thing no. that should like, happened that should happen when i was like 1997 was it 97 yeah, that he hung himself? it was it was yeah the this was the days of ICQ oh i'm gonna mix up with uh with uh uh, uh carradine yeah David carradine you're right Net- okay this is the days of netscape navigator and and freaking what you call AOL it? AOL yeah yeah I America was think- online I was thinking of David Carradine because uh, also erotic CompuServe, CompuServe? Was that one of them? yeah yeah 
CompuServe. CompuServe. So just to be clear, Michael Hutchinson did not beat off the, and die uh, that, while that is actually stuff. that is new information to me because like I mean, it was like back in the days, like the same rumors about like Marilyn Manson had ribs removed to. I never self-lead. believe that for the record, but no, yes, but I heard like that it many, definitely many was like. All right, yeah. so the point of my getting through this is that I was like, so then I learned about his life, but then I was like, okay, so I've never actually listened to NXS, even though apparently this album went platinum six times. So, and I remember seeing the CD like on my parents' collection, and I think they either just got it because it's a thing you get because it was just so big that you just kind of... I had it in a BMG deal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That was Columbia a house. Columbia yeah. house. There was, that was a big deal back, or a thing back in the day. Um, and... So I started listening to different tracks on Spotify, like the biggest tracks. And I immediately realized like, oh, yeah, I know these like guitar riffs because it's like the entire song is literally like this one. Yeah, that's the whole song. Yep. Is that riff over and over. And then him just singing all cool like. So that one is I Need You Tonight. Yep. Is that yep. one. That's the biggest one. It's the been Devil played. Inside, I think, was their next biggest. I don't it's, know what yeah. it is on Spotify now, but at the time it was The Devil Inside. It was yeah. like, The Devil Inside, The Devil yeah, Inside. Yeah, but that's, it's not that one. That's the next biggest one is A New Sensation. Yeah, that one is a big one too. And I realized the second that one started playing that A New Sensation is the perfect karaoke song. Like, because it's just like a, because this or, is why like a song because, and repeat like again it has this like this and then he's going like it is impossible to a new sensation and you can do this thing I can picture it in my head like you can like stand confidently tall like real tall and straight right and kind of puff out your chest and look at the audience while you're singing this song and you can strut back and forth across the audience and just like spit these lyrics out at the audience and they'll fucking love that shit. It's the perfect karaoke Well, that and it's like a call and response like for a lot of that song. So that is my superpower is the ability to detect the perfect karaoke song. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, it hadn't occurred to me until I was hearing all these NXS songs in my head. Michael Hutchins was like dollar store Bono. Yeah, he really was. was. They did the same same, like echo effect. They sang the same way, except for he was from Australia and Bono was from Ireland. They were good friends and Bono, I think even sang regularly for Midnight Oil, who's another oh, big, yeah. big, big uh, the beds uh, are burning. Australian band. I liked Midnight Oil as a kid. I remember I had that album with Beds Are Burning on it, and I listened to it on cassette. I listened to it all the time. It is crazy how fast NXS burned out, too, because it was like they only had the one album, but that one well, they album had two. was no. <clears throat> no. They had a bunch of albums. I mean, no, they th- had like Kick, and uh, there was one other one that was just like 
But I mean, a step below kick. Kick was the one that like they based their entire career off of, and it was. I, I know there's another one. That's not yeah. my point. Like kick was enough to like carry them through their entire lifespan of their band until Michael Hutchins died. It's just like it's kind of crazy to me. Like they really were like a meteor that just shot out, and then they were just gone. Because so, you know those motherfuckers would be playing like the Kettle House Amphitheater. Listen here like right thieves. Now. Listen like thieves was a big album. I know, but like. No, who's, Kick who's was fucking yeah. playing that anymore. Like it's it's Kick, dude. They put out eight albums before he died. They you know what? Out, so you were, know what it is. You know what it there is. There was a four the year album. gap before they put out their last album, and then he died four years after their last actual album. And then they have like a live album from '93, and then something called Switch that can't be like they're gotta. Get I'm it, sure that's a lot got of another like, singer or some yeah. shit who gives so, a fuck about any of that. It was Listen Like Thieves, which was their breakout album. And then Kick was their their second album, which went... Except they had three albums before that. Underneath the Colors, Shabu Shuba, and The Swing. Yeah, but those... Nobody knows those. I'm just saying. They, no, but like... They, no, they're... They started like in 81. Was, listen Like they These was their breakout album. 81 to 93 was their run as a band. I'm That's not saying it was years. their first album. I'm saying it was their breakout album. And but Kick was... Kick was the one that they'll be remembered for. Like every, They literally peaked like right in the middle of their career. Yeah, because it wasn't a very long career. <laughs> Generally, you peak at the years. beginning with music, and then <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe you do well what, enough to where you can play county fairs later. You also keep in mind that bands have reunions and stuff all the time, but less or often. Or they play Memorial when, Park at Helena. Less like often Kansas. when the dude is fucking dead. So I mean, that's a big reason why they're gone. Is he died? Yeah, yeah. but they weren't. <laughs> They weren't shit and when he, he died. And <laughs> he was the reason why that band was a thing as well. He, oh, it's yeah. It's not like the band lost the least important member. They lost the most important member. Right. No, no. I totally no. get that. It's like it's like Static X losing There's Wayne a reason Static. why. Soundgarden losing Chris Cornell. There's a reason why Queen with Paul Rogers doesn't burn up the charts. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's a weird example because they had very important band members. But like Freddie Mercury was a number. Number one, and it wasn't close. And it's the same with NXS. Like no, everybody and, and thinks of the singer. Like the videos Queen, were Queen fashioned had, around the singer. Yeah, Queen had like talent. Like all the other guys were talented, but Queen. When you go, when you think of Queen, you think of Freddie Mercury. Yeah, first and foremost. It's yeah. also why Pink Floyd does work without Roger Waters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they also worked the without important. Sid Barrett. <laughs> It always worked without Sid Barrett, though. <laughs> they it worked to. way better without Sid Barrett. <laughs> it really worked out well without Sid Barrett. <laughs> he was good kindling for Pink Floyd. He was the perfect kindling. <laughs> and like, he literally burned up to start the fire that became Pink Floyd. The, he was never part of the fire. The he thing was, with Roger Waters and Pink Floyd is like they never had a better lyricist than Roger Waters. But literally everybody else who sang on a Pink Floyd album is better at singing than Roger Waters. Like every track he sings on is just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Gilmore is definitely way better. Yeah, I, he has the worst voice. Do not care about any Pink Floyd album that came after The Wall. Even I don't care so much about The Wall, even though it's kind of their pinnacle moment. Uh-huh. Uh, I just love the weird early shit they did when they were really big. I think there's creeps. a lot of steady good albums after The Wall, but I don't think 
there's any great albums after the wall. <laughs> I like the stuff they do where See, like I, I, I like there's Alan Psychedelic Breakfast albums, but I don't. I think the only really good album after the wall is probably the Division Bell. Division I, Bell's good, yeah. yeah, but not great. Who needs it? You could just listen to Animals. Wish you were here, and it's way better use of your time. That is that like, is not that's, animals. That's that's all within that metal to wall period. Yeah. That is their best period. Animals I think that's something shit. we can all agree on in here. And animals falls within that period. Mother yeah. was it? Mother love. Adam Hart. Adam, Adam, Adam Hart. Mother. 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 Yeah. Uh, see, that's one of the specific weirdness things that I like about them is when like they're doing some ethereal atmospheric bullshit, and then some dudes just like I'm making me some eggs. Who needs this? good eggs now i'm having <laughs> some bacon with these eggs it's basically what the entire album of metal is <laughs> or like uh umaguma umaguma yes several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pick <laughs> that is a good song i play that at gestures and it clears the place up <laughs> I like Seamus, the one about the dog, where they have that the dog that they just like it howls and tune to the music. Yeah, I I love that song, dude. Careful with that axe, Eugene. Oh, it's great. Now song. That's some good shit. Ugh. I have this video of them. San Tropez. I have this video of them doing careful with that ex Eugene and like everything that was around that time that was like posted Barrett, like all of their songs up. Up until right before Dark Side of the Moon, and they're playing in front of the uh, Stonehenge. Yeah. And it's great, but the problem is, is the way that they sequence it, it's like super bright, and then it's like dark and shadowy, and then it's like bright again, and then it's afternoon. It's like, dude, just show it in order. Like, seriously, this is kind of obnoxious, like watching the, the sun in different positions. I remember something from some recording where when he gets to the line where everything goes to hell, and he says, carefully well, that acts Eugene and then just starts shrieking. Yeah. That it That's got, Roger Waters again. It like <laughs> goes to uh it goes to like uh strobe lights and red flashing, like, and it just gets really chaotic. And I do like the thing is, is yeah, you don't have to be a good singer because he, he's just sh- doing his screaming, but they're like making it go backwards and putting it running it through an effects processor in real time and yeah, it's, it's fine trippy, for that song. Dude, it's just yeah. trippy as hell, man. Yeah, it's I've fine had... for that song. It's when he's singing stuff like You uh, listen to Bring the Boys Back Home. Pink like it's like Floyd stop. is good when you're on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're also mostly good when you want to go to sleep. Mostly. That's not an insult. It's just like a That's lot of like their albums are like calming. One of the best uh, Yeah, I was like when I am really stressed, I'll like lay on the floor, put my headphones on and just listen to a Pink Floyd album and just like center myself. What's the one with uh us and them? Uh, that, that is Dark Side. That's Dark, Dark Side. That's the one that is the chill out one, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, my my dad's uh, business partner at his bookstore, Scott, he used to work at a mental health facility, like a state one in Philadelphia. And um, they would play Dark Side of the Moon to calm down the the inmate. It's such, I think they probably skipped so these inmates. That's guy. so fucking crazy. I know. That, is that it is especially... nuts because it's about insanity. I know. Yeah, I know. The irony of it is not lost. Literally, they have a song called Brain Damage. Yeah. 
Yeah. The and lunatic is on the grass. Yes. They like, well, you know, it kind of. But it's it, like if if you were in a place a where you were manic and you, you could actually like identify with it and maybe actually calm yourself. Like it might actually be like. Calming, he said it like, was effective. That I, album I could was see effective. It. I could see it. So Especially and, like Great Gig in the Sky when she's like doing the. Like. Sid Barrett's influences never, even when he wasn't a direct influence on the writing of this by writing the melodies and stuff. Um, he's always kind of a presence, a yeah. spectral presence in the music. And that is something that other men, he was very mentally ill. And that's yes. something other yeah. mentally ill people can kind of just sort of subconsciously pick up on, I think. I don't think I talked about it last time we talked about Pink Floyd on this <laughs> podcast, but uh, there is a story where they were recording the song Wish You Were... No, not Wish You Were Here. It's from Wish You Were Here. But Shine they were, On You Date Crazy Diamond. Yeah, Dime. Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Which part? One, two, three, four, five, or it's six? Never, I've never heard it said. <laughs> Welcome to the It's either machine. one through four or five and six, because those cigar. are the two those pieces. Those are all right? about him. That whole album is about him. But yes, I get what but I'm... Specifically, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. They're to him is, yes. Shine On You Crazy and he happened he to show up at the diamond. studio and nobody noticed him because he had gained like 200 pounds and he was losing a bunch of hair and he was just sitting on the couch and they were like, who's that? And somebody like one of the producers was like, that's Sid. And they were like looking at him and every like two or three minutes he would just stand up and he had his toothbrush tied around his neck. He would just start brushing his teeth and then he would just sit down again. And it was right as Roger Waters was writing the lyrics to Shine On You Crazy Diamond and he was just like... Fuck. <laughs> it just really fucked with them. That's a story. So this week on the versus battle, and I just got confirmation on this. So I am going to be gone the next week and I'm flying down to Los Angeles, going to spend a week down there with the family. And I just got confirmation that I am going to uh, record a live show of Fat Man Beyond podcast at the Scum and Villainy Cantina, Hollywood. Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin are the hosts. Yes. Let me just put that out there for anybody who doesn't listen to it. Yeah. Interesting podcast. If you're inter- if you want something other than the Not Safer Network podcast to listen to, listen to us first. And then go listen to those other guys. I was going to say, word carefully. (laughs) (laughs) But the way their show works is they usually have three segments. They have one which is just kind of a two two guys say, just kind of like, what are you up to? What are you up to? And then they do a news segment. And then the last segment they do is a live Q&A. Since the Rona hit, they've been doing it just through like, Facebook chat or whatever, YouTube chat or whatever streaming service they're using. But since they're going back to the live show, they're actually going to have a live Q&A. So I want to come up with the best question to get on the show and, you know, talk about our own show. Like, give us (laughs) – you you guys are listening. Okay. Let me me lay down – Something with this first, because they always make it clear because Kevin Smith is a more famous person that they both have to be able to answer the question. So you can't ask like a personal question about Kevin Smith unless it can also pertain to Mark Bernardin. The other thing about this, and you might be forgetting this, is it's filtered through the bar owner. Correct. If you like put in a plug for the podcast, it's just not going to work. It's going to get thrown out. So you can't directly do it. That's not the best. No, 
you, you don't yeah. you don't bring up I don't bring up the podcast until I'm in front of the microphone asking the question. Do they do that? Doesn't he just ask the question? No, because like, I thought they submitted it and then he asked it. Now they used to have the audience step up to the mic, but I think they stopped doing. No, that. well, and it's I'm not sure because like they're like Tuesday, like a couple days from now, it'll actually before this podcast comes out, they're going to go back to the old format, which would they actually had somebody come up to the microphone. You would submit a question to, and then he picks, the and then three. he picks the three questions, and then like you go up and ask your question, and then like usually the people who ask the questions get a gift. Yeah, and I want the ultimate gift. <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, they have a year's supply of shit that they're, they've, like, been sitting on for, like, because they've got, like, MODOK, pr- like, promotional shit. They got, like, all sorts of, like, anything you can think of in the last year, they've been, like, given this promotional shit. And they don't want, like, their house cluttered with that crap, so. So give me an example of the kind of question people ask. They, they ask a lot of superhero questions where they're like, if you were to recast Clerks, which superheroes would you put into it? Or th- So th- that's like one caliber of question. Or sometimes they'll ask a writing question, like how do you deal with writer's block? So they have the more personal ones there. Or like they have showbiz questions a lot of the time too, where somebody's like, how did you deal with um, finding your first job or something like that? So like those are the three caliber of questions you have basically it's like recast something with pop culture or like you're producing your own movie like what songs from your own life would you want in that movie yeah so they ask questions like that so it's open-ended but it just has to apply to both of them so that people aren't asking clerks questions all the time so which questions does do they get the most excited about answering? It's the usually the it's one the, the ones where they cast superheroes into things. I feel like or pop culturey things into something else, right? Yeah. Like if if you're doing okay, this is not a question they ask, but they would say something like, uh, "If you're to recast the Queen's Gambit with X Men members." Who would you have play what part? Like, I feel like that's when they get the most excited is answering questions like that. So, like, how I recast Casablanca and made it a Paul W.S. Anderson movie? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like that. (laughs) Ask him if he could swap movies with any other director and have them make all of his movies and he makes all of their movies in like his style. Can't ask that because it doesn't apply to Mark Bernard oh, who's yeah. a writer. See, that's yeah. why, that's where it gets tough is you have to remember. So it, Okay, it, if you it could, okay, okay. Questions. So we bank it, a, okay, if you could switch any two directors and have one director make all of the other man guys' movies and have vice versa, like uh, Alfred Hitchcock and Scorsese or something yeah. like that. The ones that get them talking the most is if you have like superhero movies or basically comic movies really get them going a lot. And the ones that they talk the most on are usually the ones that end up with prizes. How would you recast Battlestar Galactica with, <laughs> oh, with, with original trilogy characters? See, how is that not going to work, dude? The dude who owns the scum and villainy, scum and villainy canteen is going to immediately see that and question. Mark Bernard, you know who Kevin Smith's going to jump on the Star Wars part. Mark Bernard and did that entire Battlestar podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. See, the problem is I can't engage with that. Like, I've never watched. It doesn't Battle matter. Star You're Galactic. not the one talking on the mic. You're just asking the question. That one, it feels a little too um, contrived. Like paint by numbers. Okay. Properties together to like try to. You're like a computer built that an algorithm. Yeah, I'm using a Netflix algorithm <laughs> to to get this question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe try to do something that ties into He-Man since that's going to be a thing that he's... Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, are, and they're both, they're both doing yeah. that. So yeah. probably a, a He-Man question of some kind is most likely to get traction. But it can't traction. be specifically about the show they're making because they can't talk about it. They're constantly going over how they can't yeah. talk about it. So just be like, hey, is say something. Be like, what was it like getting... Mark Hamill's the Joker to voice. No, they're not can't do go that because Mark Bernardin's not involved in that. He's just a writer. That's Kevin Smith's department. Dude, the joke. It's a joke because the Joker's not the one voicing Skeletor. Oh, gotcha. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on you. I'm into that shit. <laughs> Uh, I still think that Battlestar Star Wars one, it's a generic question, but I think that wins you a prize, dude. And if you think that Mark Bernardin is not involved in casting whatsoever. He's not. He, no, his he opinion is, matters to, to – it, it matters to a point, but he is not It matters to Kevin – his opinion matters to Kevin Smith. Kevin I do agree Smith with that. He's not like doing things in a vacuum. He's talking to his buddy that's like his best friend, right? They're like best buds. They hang out every day. They're going to talk about that kind of shit. I don't know that they hang out every day, but. <laughs> you know what? They talk on the phone every day. I mean, they're probably like you they and text I. Every like day. texting like they got the, their own group chat going. Yeah, I, I would imagine that yeah. for sure. We got to throw in Motu there somehow. So we got Motu. We got to get Star Wars to get the. <laughs> I, get it, Pat, I'm telling get you, it. that's that is the bar to like get that question asked. It's got to involve Star Wars because it's the one thing that all three of those guys just have an absolute unabashed love for. That's how you get that question asked. Is you got to work in Star Wars somehow. Be like, you know what you should say? You should say, wouldn't it have been cool if David Cronenberg had directed Star Wars Episode Nine? And they'd be like, that's not a question. <laughs> say, imagine. I mean, tell, technically it's a question, but it's be definitely like, rhetorical. Hey, question. imagine imagine out loud what it would be like. Okay, I got it, dude. <laughs> How would the 1980s Masters of the Universe movie be different if it was directed by David Cronenberg? <laughs> it would have been awesome, dude. Like, I'm shot. I'm disappointed that David Cronenberg's not going to get to like direct a Marvel or a DC movie because I think he could have made an awesome one, dude. He could have made an awesome fucking Marvel movie. You know what would be an interesting movie to watch is Cronenberg directed Spawn. Because eh. if Spawn's say, a little dude, broy for my tastes, I want something like Moon Knight or like uh, I guess you need something morphy too. You could do something. You want body horror involved? Oh, dude! If you give him a DC Ghost property, Rider. if you give him a DC property, good. Animal Man is perfect for yeah, Animal Man because he isn't that he's the product of that through like surgery, right? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know something the whole grotesque. deal with Animal Man. And Animal Swamp Man Thing's is a good read... one. I think like he yeah. could have done a good job. 
job with Swamp Thing, particularly yeah. that moment when he realizes, like, I'm not actually this dude. I'm this monster that just has the memories of him because I absorbed his his corpse. Yeah, that would be interesting. That's, yeah, it'd probably work better on the DC end, to be yeah. honest, than yeah. with the Marvel end. Unless you gave him Man Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, I am sad that Swamp Thing didn't last because they really were it was like pretty well done even though it was i watched the first three and i enjoyed it so the problem was that they just went over budget way too fast and problem was that the dc app was melting down because they knew they were gonna fold every other show survived to more seasons every single other show that was on the universe yes it got yeah it got two second season it's getting a third if you remember right swamp thing got canceled before the first episode premiered like they never even gave it a chance they it was just it was so expensive to like keep that tank it's uh actually they're comparing it to what happened happened with Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix because yeah. that show also got canceled really fast considering yeah and also the timing of that show was fucking piss poor too yeah like just wedged right in between Marvel shows and Invincible it was yeah. never gonna look very good yeah. around all of those shows yeah so. I I remember looking at Net, Netflix and I'm like ah. Is this really the show I want to watch? Like, I watched the whole preview and I'm like, this doesn't interest me at all. Yeah. Well, also, from what I gather, um, the entire series covers the first two issues of the comic. So you don't even get to the good stuff where the story actually gets interesting or like it's it's a really weirdly paced where by comparison, um, the first two uh the uh this new series the Sandman Neil Gaiman Sandman yeah. Netflix series the first season is going to cover like the first two books like the first two volumes wow which are like cuz they're doing like an issue an episode you know or two issues an episode Right, but those comics are way more dense too. Neil Gaiman writes so much in the margins, and like well, he'll he'll do pacing, those things where he'll like the pace have an is going to be rapid. Out. The Sandman pace is going to be like I'm just saying, like the issues are more dense, so they can support an entire episode. Yeah, they're yeah. not adding any fluff. Right, they're like we don't really need to. We can just tell the story for the comic. <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. good. Well, and did, they still probably have to pare down. Amazon or uh, yeah. American Gods was a an adaptation from the book, and it is loaded with fluff, and that's where the show falls apart, and that's why it bombed so hard, is because they just like they had, had a lot rather than just problems. tell the story from the book, they were like, let's take five episodes to get where we should get into they like learned the wrong lessons from game of thrones (laughs) well did you get your answer for uh kevin smith or your question rather so we've learned we need to get star wars involved (laughs) yeah first and foremost and then go comics and movies beyond that is what we're really boiling this i think you should focus on the 80s masters of the universe i think i think that's the key to this like recast it because it's something that like they can talk about and not spoil their own stuff Dude, make it goofier like it's got okay recast masters of the universe with phantom menace characters Yes. Recast yes. Masters of the Universe, but make it like a Looney Tunes Space Jam movie. 
<laughs> I don't think they have love for Space Jam. At least I've never heard Kevin Smith talk about it. I know they definitely. Uh, it's not about push, their love for go it. Go away even. against it's sports. It's about just a weird, wacky combination. It's about unlocking what will get the question asked. Yeah. <laughs> I want to come home with swag, damn it. And so if you get to ask it on the mic, just say, so we were, po- don't be long about this, just but just say, so we were trying to come up with what question to ask on our podcast, not say for network. And this is what we came up with. Like throw out a plug like that where it's quick and they'll allow it but if you like go into a story about how we were trying to figure it out it's no, dead that, dude no no that's, <laughs> that's not where i want to go no like yeah don't plug us in a way that comes off as desperate in any way we're not i'm desperate. okay with that <laughs> we're not <laughs> desperate we for listeners we're having fun without even knowing if any of you are real I look at the Alex numbers all the time sp- and I'm desperate. Go for Alex it. Alex could be buying all – you could all be robots that Alex is paying to download our podcast. I don't know. Why would I do that? I'm the only one that sees the numbers. <laughs> you guys only know what I tell you. I don't know. Why would you do that? <laughs> That's an insane thing We don't thing know that you're working so big. Like, let me put it this way. Have you guys ever looked at Instagram – like ever, like just in general, no, have you looked at, at Instagram? Never, See, like it's I have a whole a whole thing for us, and like you guys have never even looked at it. So like I'm aware if I'm trying to convince you to, I don't have to do anything. I just have to lie. Like, as far as it goes, you don't have to hire Russian bots. No, it's not necessary. I could just say, yeah, we got five thousand downloads this week. What do you guys fucking know? Well, you better be telling the truth because i tell other people that information check out the only fans page i have told the truth and when i'm depressed about the numbers i definitely don't say anything (laughs) 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 all right this is probably a good place to cut off so bye please subscribe rate and review the show follow us or reach out on instagram at nsf underscore network facebook's not safe for network page or email not safe for network podcast at gmail.com not safe for network was created and hosted by carl Borneman, brandon beardsley and alex small produced by alex small Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, a cosmic void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.